It's like everywhere I look and everywhere I go, I'm hearing somebody trying to steal my flow. But it ain't no fake. I see my homie Coolio with me up on the game when I step through the door. You know, some of these fools are so deceptive. Using my styles like a contraceptive. I hope you get burnt. Seems you haven't learned. It's the knickknack panty whack. I still got the biggest sight. So put Welcome to episode on. three of the Setting the Edge podcast. If you're listening to this right now, that means you made it through all of the hot takes from this weekend. From uh, Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette, um, you might have seen Felipe Rivera on his last drive down the score uh, get two sacks, throw the ball into the dirt, and throw an interception on fourth down. I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. Charles, say what's up to the people. What's up to the people? How are we? Good, man. So every single person on earth got off a hot take about Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. Oh, yeah. So just some backstory, so it- if you don't know... Uh, They've decided to set out their bowl games. Uh, LSU is in the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings Citrus Bowl, and uh, Stanford is in the Sun Bowl. So two games that don't matter at all, except for the schools getting money to participate in the bowl games. And yeah, people are some people are uh, pretty furious that they're sitting, they're you know taking the opportunity to sit out their last college football game. That's that's what I'm saying. It's like people don't people like half of these people aren't even gonna watch these bowl games, but they were still tweeting so fast that their phones exploded like CeeLo Green Samsung. Oh. And they're just like just going off, man. So Danny Cannell said, So I guess Dak Prescott should stop playing Danny Cannell, who you may remember from being a backup arena football quarterback or having a failed show on ESPNU, yes. uh, said, tweeted out, So I guess Dak Prescott should stop being a quarterback or stop playing this season. He's severely underpaid as a franchise quarterback. Why risk injury? You got you got to get his right. Like these people don't understand the difference between what Dak Prescott must be making over two hundred thousand dollars this year. I, I'm just gonna blanket say that that's yeah. more than the minimum. Um, yeah. the difference between that and not getting paid at all that's significant. Right. <laughs> like and, people just fundamentally like do not understand this at all. It is just like the weirdest thing to me. Like well, Lenny Fournette has a daughter. Like, He's got to protect yeah. himself. And he, he's already hurt anyway, so what's the point of getting hurt or potentially getting hurt again like eight weeks before the combine happens and my ankle still hurts and I can't really do any of the the drills in front right. of the, my, in my future potential employees, employers. And uh, just for clarification purposes, Dak Prescott is making $450,000 this year. Four hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a, that's more than I thought he would as yeah. a fourth round pick. Damn, the cap really is going up. So there, there were also people who were talking about like, why don't you talk about coaches this way and things like that? And people seem to like shake it off almost, and they're like, oh, I, I do, I do care about that. But you, I mean, yeah. I've never. People don't care about like Jordan Jenkins came out. Uh, Jordan Jenkins, who's I believe a third round pick this past year uh, out of Georgia. That's your team. Yeah. Um, he said. There was no uproar about coaches me- missing our bowl game last season. We had more than one coach miss, and no one cared about this much. You got to remember, this is the same Georgia team that had Leonard Floyd, who literally pulled off in a car and told the reporters, "I'm gone." Right? Like, it, this is, like that's an actual thing that happened. Um, and people didn't seem to give a damn, right? Like, no, no one really cared. Like, no. Mark Rich got fired, and that that was that, right? Oh no, he's got to go get another job. Yeah, and no, no one's out here freaking out that Tom Herman skipped. Houston's bowl game to go coach to go get started at Texas like you don't hear mm-hmm. anybody that's furious about that it's just when you have the underprivileged the underprivileged uh people starting to realize that they actually have a decent amount of power and control over their own lives wow that's shocking that's when people start to get upset about it 
<laughs> and then uh, pe- people found Ezekiel Elliott because Ezekiel Elliott's the one person who was like, yo, you should be playing these bowl games, who's like actually played in like significant college football games. Um, like the difference between the bowl games that like Zeke was playing in and the difference between the bowl games that these kids are playing in are totally different. Like Zeke, one, one, like Zeke went on like a national title run. And like two, when he says, I wish I could go back and play with my boys, they're in a playoff game right now. Like they're going to go yeah. play in, what is it, the Orange Bowl, I want to say? Yeah, versus Clemson. Yeah, so it's like that's, that's totally different. And like guys, guys like Kirk Herbstreet kind of keep up for this too. Um, so this led to us looking up what Kirk Herbstreet – I was trying to find his bowl stats, which apparently you cannot find because uh, – so this is the conversation that people had when like Danelle Pumphrey uh, broke the rushing record. And people try to discredit it by saying, like, yo, they didn't count Ron Dame's bowl records. There's literally no records of this. I, I just looked through everything trying to find a damn Citrus Bowl uh, score from, like, 1992. And I could not find a damn thing about what Kirk Street looked like in, the, in that game. Um, but I did find an article from the Baltimore Sun, which I'm pretty sure is – I'm pretty sure that's the paper from The Wire, I want to say. Shouts to I, David I, Simon, I, even I, though you it's, said it's some problematic the, shit. It's, it's the Baltimore paper, the Baltimore Sun. It's the actual yeah. Baltimore paper. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you, you, got, you said from this, The Wire. This is how I, I know you. I live here. I, this, is why, this is why I know you haven't watched The Wire. And this is why I get mad at you for not watching The Wire. Is they have that. You know who they. Uh, I'm not going to go into this. You, go you, watch you, The Wire. You said, you said the Baltimore Sun is a paper from The Wire. I'm saying it's the real paper in Baltimore. <laughs> That's the only that's the only reference to to Baltimore that I have is the okay. wire. Okay. I'm sorry. Continue. And Ravens. All right. So um, they basically this whole article is like, yeah, Herb Street was pretty horrible. Um, the only mention of a completed pass that he had uh, was a screen pass. Um, he said in it, for some reason, I was just pressing a bit. I never could find a groove. And then they go in and talk about the the one significant pass that he had. Um, and it being a screen, the score was 14-14, and then they talk about him overthrowing, like, everyone. So, like, Kirk Herbstreet, like, didn't even, like, if we're talking about dudes who, um, I guess, like, made a significant impact in their bowl games, like, him, like, just crapping the bed in a citrus bowl, that didn't, that doesn't do anything. Like, he he doesn't really have a frame of reference for, like, what Leonard Fournette or, like, Christian McCaffrey are doing. Yeah. And, and then there are other people who are like, well, this is your last time to, like, be with your, like, brothers and things like that. You know what I mean? And that makes sense until you remember that everyone has a senior day. Yep. Like, I, I just – I don't know. I just fundamentally don't understand this. Uh, this also led us to – when I was trying to look up the bowl stats, me realizing Kirk Herbstreet had a total of five passing touchdowns in his entire college football career. After throwing 349 uh, passes, right? Um, if you guys remember, in 2012, Maryland's true freshman linebacker switched to quarterback for uh, like the last portion of the season, and he threw 84 passes for six touchdowns. So that that dude in about what is that, 260 fewer throws threw yeah. a, one more touchdown than Kirk Herbstreit did in his career mm-hmm. as a true freshman converted linebacker. Kirk Kirk Herbstreit's out here talking like. Like everyone wanted him when he was coming out of college, man. No one was checking for you. No one was offering you millions of dollars. You really had nothing on the line. So he got sit, drafted by ESPN, twelfth round. Sit down, be quiet, and just let these kids go make their millions of dollars. All right, it's not a big deal. Um, speaking of Zeke, we talk about Zeke. Um, Zeke Zeke's a fucking liar. I mean, we're just gonna call people liars on this. Uh, this week, he said that if he were to play a different position, he would play offensive line, and liar. no one wants to play offensive line. Liar. There are people in the NFL who do not like playing offensive line. 
I've never met a person who wants to play offensive line. People who play offensive line are people who are mad that they didn't get to play tight end or they want to play on defense more. Yeah, uh, I played offensive line in high school, and uh, I remember it was my senior year, and we had this kid who was a sophomore named Jared Cohen, and this kid was like, he was massive. He was like 6'4", 290. He ended up committing to UNC, and uh, the day that my head coach told me that I was just going to play defense and they were going to put Jared in my spot on offensive guard was one of the best days of my high school career. So, <laughs> blocking sucks. Zeke is a liar. And I just don't believe him for a second there. Right. And last week's liar, Bruce Arians decided to pipe up on this, on this subject too. He said, uh, it's just headline Bruce Arians on skipping bowl games. That would concern me. This is the same person who drafted Robert Kimdichie, who fell out of a hotel in the first round this past year, uh, traded for Chandler Jones, Liar. who allegedly showed up, who allegedly showed up to a police station high on K2, uh, like uh, two weeks before a playoff game, um, who drafted uh, Tyron Matthew, Liar. who was suspended after multiple drug tests at LSU and then got arrested for drug charges, I think less than two months after that. And but here's the thing, too. I, I think Bruce Arians has a reason for this. I think Bruce Arians is trying to rebrand because the, the whole like we're bad boys, but we win thing works when you win. But he's not winning now. And you know who just got cut? Michael Floyd. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wonder how much of a like, yo, we kind of took this a little too far. And like everything makes sense when you when you take job security into it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's one thing that we can learn about the NFL is everything makes sense when you get when you put job security job security into the equation, and you see him cutting Mike, Michael Floyd, see him coming about this after his track record of just kind of like throwing out flyers on these some of these I get troubled kids. I mean, I don't necessarily blame half these half of this stuff. Um, but it's like you can't, you can't get me to believe that unless you're trying to turn a foot at least in the public eye. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Mike Leach also said some stuff where he said <laughs> Mike Leach said if someone decided to boycott here, I'd cut him. This is a person who once put who a kid who was had a concussion or had concussion symptoms into a closet. So, yeah, we knew Mike. Um, yeah, <laughs> these people are fraudulent liars, but we come out and watch them every weekend because yep. we're whipped. <laughs> um, I have I have kind of a hot take about these guys missing the balls. Um, I will. So here's the thing. Leonard Fournette, when you think of Leonard Fournette and you think of his biggest games of his career, what do you think of at LSU, right? Uh, like this year versus Ole Miss, last year versus Auburn. Uh, but I'm saying the the biggest games like LSU has played in, right? Oh, it's against uh, Bama. Oh, yeah, and he struggles right? in those games. Yeah. yeah, and he struggled both times against Bama, right? Yeah. So if you're looking at you're looking at this and you're looking at if – you're, if you're taking into account of bowl season as a place where like draft stock can go up and down, and it is like um, – uh, what's his name? Gene, Gene Smith, who used to be the general manager of the Jaguars, went on record saying that him being there in person to watch Blaine Gabbert throw a game-ending interception uh, for Iowa's bowl game or uh, the Iowa-Missouri bowl game um, was a big deal to him because he was able to see Blaine Gabbert's like arm strength in person. Like you can sell people on like if you a person sees it firsthand. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if, if you want to look at the draft as a place where executives and scouts can go to these games and like really sell themselves out on a person. If you're looking at probably the best running back who's going to be playing in this bowl season, it's going to end up being Dalvin Cook because Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette are out, right? Yeah. So if you look at Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook's the biggest game Dalvin Cook's going to play in his career, at least in terms of like quality defense that he's going to go up against, is this Michigan team, right? Like everyone talks about this front seven for Michigan. Um, and I don't really think that 
when you have a guy like Jabril Peppers dropping into coverage, a guy like uh, what's his name, Jordan Lewis, I want to say he's yeah. the undersized guy who's really talented. Um, I don't think Florida State's going into this this bowl game thinking, okay, we can throw against that with a true freshman quarterback, right? So it's yeah. a lot of this game is probably going to end up leaning on Dalvin Cook, and if Dalvin Cook goes off against this defense, I think that's the one thing is that kind of Fournette and McCaffrey not really playing in the in in the bowl in like the post the postseason at all, right? Um, I think that can kind of open up the door for Dalvin Cook to at least have the potential to be RB1. Because when you watch Leonard Fournette, he makes a lot of sense for like a really good power offensive line, right? Yeah, I'm, but, I kind of want to see like Fournette with uh, Sean McCoy next year. I think that'd be a really fun deal to watch. Oh, that'd be insane. Yeah. That'd be insane. Yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. But I think if if you're talking about a running back who could just drop into any team on the NFL, like if you had like a randomizer and you're like, yo – we got to pick a. We got to pick, you know, a running back who's going to succeed, right? And you just, it just just drops into one of the thir- the thirty two uh, franchises, right? I think Dalvin Cook's running back one. Yeah, I I think I agree, and I think most people outside of Baton Rouge would agree with you there too. Yeah. So I I just think I I don't know that that's a pretty that's an interesting narrative for for me because I I was watching I, I was just thinking about stuff and I I had I wrote I wrote this uh article for Bleacher Report on what the biggest matchups were uh, for the remainder of the bowl season. And that was one that really stood out to me because I was like, you know what, Cook, there's like the situation here really makes sense for Cook being a riser. Yeah, and it's they're going to have to lean on him too because Florida State's offensive line cannot pass block no. at all. So you got guys like Wormley and Taco uh, Charlton and uh, that freshman they have, Rashawn Gary, coming after Francois, he's going to get beat up again, so they're going to have to lean on Dalvin Cook if they really want to get any offense going uh, against Michigan. So it, it'll be a really good task because he's going to have to shoulder the load for that offense. Uh, so, so since we we already brought up, uh, we already brought up liars. Uh, if we want to bring up another reoccurring thing with this podcast, uh, did you see Felipe Rivera this week? I did see uh, Felipe <laughs> Rivera, which is Philip Rivers for uh, you English speaking folk. Yeah, so he he ended up taking two sacks, throwing a ball in the dirt, and then throwing an interception on fourth down. Um, after the game, he said, "You saw us go silent count all game. It was a road game, and that that that's true. I mean, you look at you look at that fourth quarter, and they, they have to go silent. You're watching the guard punch the center's uh, hip, letting them know that it's time for him to snap because they can't really like talk to each other, even though they're only four yards removed." Um, he said, the, "This article also goes on to say he's dealt with a similar crowd before." The quote quote. In Oakland, unquote. <laughs> Someone was like, yo, the Raiders should just move to San Diego at this point. Like, man, I can't imagine. You can't even hear – you can't hear a snap count your own At stadium. a home game. Ugh. At a home game against a division rival. Like, you cannot catch a break at all. And that's that's something that's not going to get better in L.A. Yeah. That's not getting better in it's L.A. not getting better in L.A. <laughs> that's not going to get better in L.A. at all. So, man, I have no idea what, where that team even goes because they have they they visibly have some pieces, but it's like it just fucking never comes together at the right time. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine how how stressed Philip Rivers must have been? You know, he's he's always in this constant state where he where he's down by three or four points with length of the field to go, no timeouts left, and this week he looks over to his right and he sees a security guard jerking off, and he doesn't have any timeouts, and he's getting sacked twice, incomplete on the next one, interception, he has to walk past that security guard, he's got his hand in his pants as he looks up at the scoreboard and sees, oh, god damn it, we lost again. Um, I don't know who the Chargers are going against this week, but we're taking him 
We're taking the Chargers. We're taking against the Chargers in the yeah. point spread. They uh, it's Christmas week. It's Christmas week, and he has to figure out all these gifts for his children. Like, he just kind of, like, I imagine his life just living in chaos. He's just, oh, God. Like, is it, it's not it's not that every single game, it's like he's down he's down a touchdown with a minute left on the road, like, on the road. I guess on the road for this game. Yeah. Um, I think that's just kind of how he lives life. Just always on the edge. Like, he doesn't realize it's Christmas this week yet. And we're about we're about to see it. I, I think what all these games play on Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. So he's got except, uh, three days to figure out what he's getting for everyone. Yeah. Hmm. Are they playing the Browns? They're playing the Browns. The Browns are winning this week. No, they're not. Breaking news. They're fake not. news. No, they're fake news. All right, let's get into these uh, game picks. Let's do it. Oh, actually, wait. Do we want to do we want to touch uh, head coaches first? New coaches. Yeah. Let's let's t- talk about that. We've already we, on the first episode we got a Kyle Shanahan question. So if you want to listen to that, you can just go back to the first episode and uh, it's towards the end. But we have two coach openings in Los Angeles and Jacksonville. Right. Uh, with Los Angeles, who Jeff Fisher said that he wished he could play the Rams, like he didn't lose the Super Bowl to him. Right. Uh, like you can't slide that past me. Um, so I guess they're going after John Gruden for some reason because Gruden has a Super Bowl ring, even though Tom Coughlin is like openly pandering and trying to get a head coaching job, and Tom Coughlin has two Super Bowl rings. I'm not really sure how that works. Um, so for whatever reason, it looks like Los Angeles wants to do a splash hire, right? And uh, Tony Pauline, who's really good at this, like I mean that that dude, that dude. He writes for a new site called Draft Analyst now, but he ends up breaking like half the news on on uh, underclassmen as far as like the draft are concerned. Um, that that dude's sources are just like ironclad, basically. And he was saying that there's legitimate legs to the the Jim Harbaugh stuff. And what? if that happens, goddamn, yeah, go look it up. Go go on Draft Insider right now or uh, Draft Analyst. It used to be Draft Insider. It used to be Draft Insider. Draft, draft Analyst now. Goddamn, I don't know why I changed the site, man. Um, but yeah. So if if that actually happens, that'd be crazy because I can't imagine Jim Harbaugh leaving after two years. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I know it's the NFL, but I feel like coaching in Michigan is way better than coaching the Rams. I mean, you don't have any you don't have any picks. You have an awful offensive line. You don't know if your quarterback is any good. You don't know. Michigan if- Michigan has more future Pro Bowlers on their team right now than the Los Angeles Rams do. Yeah, I agree. And you know that that team is just a mess. And I hate when people say, oh, but their defense is good. Their defense is not good. It, it's Aaron Donald, Robert Quinn for the five games a year he's healthy. And then for the five games? I was yeah. going to say. And then, and like then, four games that he's playing. And then some dudes in the, in the secondary. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's a mess. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, we've talked about this kind of before. So they have Gurley as a running back. I think we're totally fine with that situation right there, right? Yeah. At receiver, they have Tavon Austin. He's not a number one. And I believe next year he's going to have the largest cap hit of any receiver in the NFL. On earth, actually. On earth. We don't have to say NFL. On earth. Um, and that offensive line is not good, mostly because uh, they spent a second overall pick on uh, Greg Robinson, who is, I mean, as close to a bust as we're going to be able to get three years into a career, right? Um, so, I mean... This is a team that spent a lot of assets, and and they spent what they spent four top forty picks on four top forty picks on a quarterback that right now does not look good. So it's not like this is something that they can really dig a hole out of. I mean, they're already lost. They lost guys like Janoris Jenkins last off, last offseason, right? Like it's not like this team has plenty of money to spend, and they're starting with like a bare cupboard, kind of like San Francisco is, right? Like this is a team that's invested a lot in a few players, and those players aren't good enough to warrant those deals right. or warrant those assets being spent on them 
Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny because like you can people are are saying you know, like with Jared Goff, you need to give him you know three years to prove what he can do in the league, and I just don't know if I buy that at all because you know if you look at like every rookie quarterback that's played this year, you know Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, uh, Cody Kessler. I would say, like, those guys have shown that they can at least play in the National Football League. Like, I, golf doesn't even look like he belongs, like, in the, in these uh, last five games. He's, if you look at uh, uh, Football Outsiders metric, uh, defensive yards above replacement, uh, it basically just calculates which quarterbacks are above replacement level and which are below. In the five games Jared Goff has played, he is by far the worst quarterback in the NFL. It took him five games to surpass guys like Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, uh, Trevor Simeon. You know, he's he's been abysmal his first five games. So it's, it's really going to be hard to, to sell that situation on a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who is just the king of the world in Michigan and can do whatever he wants. Like, I, I just don't really see how you get a, a big head coaching hire like that, even though you're right. in L.A. Yeah. So then we got Jacksonville. Uh, they fired Gus Bradley finally, and they let him on the plane. Uh, they didn't. They didn't wait to fire him at the airport afterward, like like USC did Lane Kiffin. They fired him before, but then let him ride on the plane. I'm not sure really how that works. He's a boss if uh, you're getting on that plane. <laughs> he is. I mean, you got you? all you got all that money, man. I'll, no, I'll buy my own ticket back. Yeah, I, yeah. Someone come pick me up, man. Yeah, I'd just immediately go on vacation, honestly. Yeah, I'll, I'll come be like, look. my office in three weeks. <laughs> I'll be like, look, I got five days till New Year's Eve. It's about to go down. <laughs> like, catch me in Bermuda. Yeah, I'm y'all out. have fun. I'm out. Um, this team, this is a kind of a weird spot for uh, Jacksonville too, because uh, they started paying some guys and they started turning around, so they're no longer bare covered. But then, like Blake Bortles says things like he's like, yo, they ask him about uh, pick sixes, and he says, I need to be be a better tackler, right? Which is like funny, but it's like ha ha ha. But it's like, oh, we actually like have to decide if you're gonna be our starting quarterback in like three months, uh, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then guys like Malik Jackson are like. I don't really know if a hard ass like would work here and like I don't know if a soft dude would work here and it's just like I don't know man. It seems like this team is like weirdly given up at the same time as like guys like Jalen Ramsey are like crying after every single game. Like it's just th- this this team's in a really weird spot. Um one of the guys down in Jacksonville said that Dave Caldwell admits that once Los Angeles fired Fisher, the conversation to fire Gus sped up. Um I get we could be the first people to report uh, Jeff Fisher, future Jacksonville Jaguars coach. Yep, I'm uh, I'm ready for that. It, <laughs> man, it's just you know. Okay, so Gus Bradley goes what, 14 and 48 in his 40, something. Yeah, I just know I bet against him on the road, and it's just money, just cash money. Yeah, so you go 14 and 48. They've never beaten a team that finished with a winning record uh, under Gus Bradley, and. You know, so what are you keeping anything from a fourteen and forty-eight regime? Why are you keeping Dave Caldwell? He missed on Jokel. He missed on Bortles. He missed on Fowler. So, so they they, they got Jalen Ramsey, right? They got Jalen Ramsey, but they're about to get their fifth top five pick, and who's their second best first rounder from the Caldwell era? So after Ramsey, yeah, would it after be Ramsey, it, be, it has it has to be Bortles. Or Jokel. Jokel's he was he he, he is got, he better this year? He got to the point where he was uh, 
he got to a point where he was like serviceable before he got hurt this year. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt then. But yeah, I mean, when you have you're he's about to have his fifth top five pick, man. Fifth top five pick. You've got no return on your investments, except for Ramsey, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't understand, but I mean, I guess, I guess that's the that's the weird thing. I mean, that that's a conversation that like that's weird with like Doug uh, Whaley. I want to say is how you say his name. Um, yeah. Buffalo really hasn't won anything, and they don't do anything very well. And he's about to pick like Buffalo head coach, third, third head coach, and yeah. his third quarterback, fourth quarterback. Yeah. yeah, man, something like that. Was he there when they gave the money to Kevin Cobb? Uh, I don't think so. I think he when was Kevin Cobb like ran out and like slipped on uh like a mat or something like going onto the turf and oh, like got messed all those up his head. Yeah, he like he like legit hurt himself like walking onto the field or something, and then he ended up losing that job. <sighs> yeah. All right. Let, let, let's uh let's get into these game picks. One more. One more. One more. Okay. We got to talk about the Jets. We got to talk about the Jets. The Jets. All right, who so, gives a fuck about the Jets? We got to talk about the Jets. They're okay. about to fire their coach. Uh, this is just kind of an excuse to bring up the Brian Finner and tweet. Okay. To be honest. Okay. So. Uh, the Jets are – there's rumors about Todd Bowles getting fired, right? Um, people are talking about how they've kind of lost that locker room, at least on the defensive side of the ball, which is uh, Todd Bowles' side of the ball. Because guys like Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, we heard rumors about him not showing up to a defensive meeting, just completely skipping it. And on his birthday, uh, when they had like a birthday cake and they were like about – they were like ready to celebrate. Like him – he walks through the door and they're just waiting at that door for like an hour. Hey, like, man, it's your birthday. You, you can't he's not him to go to work on his birthday? Are you crazy? Right. All right, that's fair That's fair enough. But then what the hell is Sheldon Richardson doing? So Sheldon, Sheldon Richardson out here on Snapchat um, posted a video, and Brian Finneran, legendary receiver who once caught passes from uh, the immaculate Michael Vick, uh, went on Twitter and put, posted, uh, hashtag not safe for work. Help me figure out what the hell Sheldon is talking about, please. Damn, son. Gang, gang, where them hoes at? <laughs> I was dying, dude. Dying. So, like, Sheldon Richardson, Sheldon Richardson basically went on Snapchat and said a bunch of shit and then was like, we don't even give a fuck about this game. And then they played football and it looked like they did not give a fuck about this this game. Like, man, you couldn't even wait until after the game to get that Snapchat off. Why are you, How can you be so stupid? <laughs> but, like, nothing even happened. That's the other thing, too, right? It's like, yo, it's what is what's today? Wednesday? We're recording this on a Wednesday. Yep. Nothing's happened yet. Like no disciplinary action. Not, he said he didn't care, like, and nothing happened at all. I don't know if we're gonna see him. Like, will he's gonna get sat for a snap or something like that? His his inside linebacker uh, start will be will be uh, taken away from him. Yeah, I don't know, man. Is I, I I think New York's gotta blow it up, man. They have because they spent all that. They they spent all the money already. They I mean they 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 spent the entire off season just jerking around waiting for Ryan Fitzpatrick and this dude just finesses the hell out of him, comes over overweight and just brutal play this year. Every single time I think every single time someone talks about the Jets as being like a sleeper, I'm just gonna play the the Ryan Fitzpatrick uh like Instagram video that someone posted of him walking into the locker room and all his receivers hugging him and just be like, Yeah, we did it. We did it. He's here. We mm-hmm. finally signed him. It's August. Yeah. Fuck that team, man. Fuck that team so much. All right, let's get to these lines. All right. So the first game we have up is 
Minnesota Green Bay? Minnesota Green Bay. Yeah, Vikings Packers. What's the line? All right, so this this game is a six and a half to seven point line for Green Bay at home, which means on the road they would still be uh, like a half point to a point, just basically pickums against uh, Minnesota. Green Bay lost in week two, I want to say on it was either Monday or Sunday night uh, in Minnesota this past uh, on on week two by a single score. So if that if that matters to anyone. No, nah, that's. I mean, this is a completely different Vikings team. It's a different team. <laughs> They're totally different teams. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings started off like five and zero, oh, right? Yeah, five and zero. Oh. Two, two and seven since. They're they're the. Uh, they pulled the same charade as the twenty fifteen Falcons. Yeah, they're like the anti Packers. Yeah, which makes pa- sense. Packers, I mean, historically, Packers. if you look at the history of the Minnesota Vikings and the history of the Green Bay Packers, pretty much opposites. Um, seven points though. That's a lot. This Green Bay team struggled against Chicago. Okay, and we're talking about a Vikings team that just lost 34-6 to at home to the Indianapolis Colts. Okay. Um, the Packers' skill players are worse. I, the, the, the Colts beat the Packers, too. Like, yeah, that don't is, forget that about is, those. That is fair. I don't know. I, I mean – it's it's a lot of points, but it, that that number will probably creep up. Honestly, if you're thinking about this game either way, getting it over seven is significant enough because that's a key number. Um, if you're gonna bet this game, I'd probably wait until like Sunday. Or wait until Sunday, Saturday. 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 Wow, this week is gonna be weird because these games are being played on Saturdays. Yep. So you'd like Friday, Friday maybe, but like also like people are gonna be with their kids. I have no idea how how the market's gonna react this week. That, you, that's kind of interesting. But if you can find it at seven and a half, boy, run. Yeah, or if you if you don't really like the seven and a half, I would put it on a teaser, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just a straight up win. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, man, I I don't know, I just like Green Bay Green Bay's DBs, man. Green Bay's DBs even up everything. Yeah, but and the linebackers aren't good now. Like I re I was rewatching Atlanta uh, Green Bay like last night. I don't know why I do this, man. This is like the weirdest things. But they kept putting like linebackers on Julio. Like it would just be like, yeah, he catches it, and the closest person to him is like Blake Martinez. It's like, man, why this? Why does this team do this? Yeah, but this time around, you have Mike Daniels going against like uh, the Vikings' third string guard. Yeah, I guess so. that's true. Green Bay's edge defenders are all banged up, but like a bad a bad offensive lineman is worse than a bad defensive lineman in the NFL, and it's not close. Yeah. So the Vikings are literally playing like third stringers on their offensive line. And I, I think the Packers front four is good enough to, to get home a few times. Uh, so, I mean, I'll go and say, I like the Packers minus seven and a half. I'm going to say, I'm going to take Minnesota. I'm going to take Minnesota and call it a reverse jinx for the Packers win. So it's an actual unreverse jinx for my picks. Cause you're beating me in these picks so far. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, Indianapolis, Oakland, right? So yep. Oakland is a three to four point favorite at home, mm. even though Derek Carr is broken. Mm. I see. I kind of like. Uh, I I I kind of like Indianapolis to win this straight up. Honestly, really? Yeah. Okay. How? Well, how do they do this? I I see. I just think it's going to be a shootout because I don't yeah. I don't see how Oakland stopping Andrew Luck because Andrew Luck's playing really really good football right now, and I don't see how, you know. Indy's front, Indy's front seven is just abysmal. So, 
that, yeah. that offensive line is just going to swallow them whole. And I, I think it's just going to be a good old fashioned shootout. Uh, but I, I just I, I don't I take don't know dogs why. in the shootout, right? I yeah, mean that's that's a smart move. If it, if it's over three and you can find this line at four, right? Then right. take the dogs take the dogs in the shootout, really. And that that's how I just think I think Andrew Luck is better than Derek Carr, and I think I, I just I just see him making more plays to to get this game done. I don't I don't really have any like stats or anything to back me up. I it's just kind of a gut feeling. That's just gut. That's that's pure unadulterated gut right there. Yeah. All right, so we got Baltimore Pittsburgh too. So Pittsburgh is a four and a half to five and a half point favorite. Basically, if you look at the five and a half point, I mean, really either one. Um, if Pittsburgh were playing in Baltimore, it would basically be a virtual pick'em. Right. And uh, I mean, these games are always really close. Uh, but the thing is, Baltimore has owned them lately. Even last year, when uh, like Ryan Mallett beat the Steelers at home, the Steelers they always seem to just kind of hang around and muck it up with Baltimore, no matter where they're playing. So, I, I, I like I like the Ravens covering the spread on this one. Right, and Pittsburgh Pittsburgh's usually public team. They usually don't do well at home, at least over the course of a season against the spread. So there's like some evidence, at least, that the public tends to overrate them when they're at home and just will, will, is willing to look over uh, inflated lines, I guess you would say. So, yeah, I'm cool with riding with Baltimore here. I mean, Baltimore ba- – does Baltimore lose by six points? Like Baltimore doesn't really lose by six points. No. Even, even, that, even that New England game – uh, what was it? It was a seven and a half, right? And they ended up covering it with seven. Yeah. So, but they, I mean, this is a team that's willing to kick field goals, right? Willing to kick field goals at the end instead of try for a touchdown and just hope that they get an onside kick and can score on the next possession. Well, they so, they got like the best kicker of all time. So, right. Just and he can like yodel, he can like yodel and stuff. It's yeah. pretty cool. So um, Baltimore, Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore, we're ri- Baltimore. riding with Baltimore there. All right. So, uh, this is I believe it's the Sunday night game, right? Detroit Dallas. Uh, no, this is. The- uh, I think this is a uh, I don't know. Or Saturday, man. Oh, no. it's, fuck, it's either, it's either the uh, Sunday Sunday night game or Monday night game. Okay, so it's going to be a nationally tele- televised game yeah. that you're going to watch and ignore your family for. Exactly. Uh, Detroit Dallas. Um, Detroit really needs this game. So Detroit, like basically, if they lose this, um, Green Bay can clinch this week somehow. Like 15 things have to happen, but Green Bay can clinch this week and like not even have to play that Detroit. Uh, that game against Detroit in Week 17. Um, Detroit very much needs this. Uh, Tampa really needed a win against Dallas last week, and they could not come up with it. Um, Dallas keeps playing in these nationally televised games. Uh, we talk, Did we talk about this on the podcast, about Dallas kind of getting figured out from uh, a points perspective? Or was that something I tweeted? I can't remember. Uh, we talked about a little bit with that Bucks game last week. But you should yeah. uh, expand on it a little bit now. So basically, so Detroit, uh, Dallas – Missed a cover by two points in week one because they were one point favorites and lost by one point to uh, the Giants. And then through Thanksgiving, they were undefeated against the spread and just went crazy. And then since then, I don't think they've won a single game against the spread, at least. Because uh, it, it, it's not by large margins or anything. Like Dallas is still winning these games, but it's just they're hanging this line just a little too high, right? And right now, they're seven to eight point favorites at home, which means in Detroit. They would be one or two point favorites, basically. Uh, so, I don't know. Eight points, man. That's a lot for a team that really. Th- that's a lot for a team that had to hold a team shut out in the fourth quarter, 
have David Irving basically force two interceptions and get two sacks and scored multiple scores in the fourth quarter just to come from behind to win a home game last week. Are we sure the Lions are actually any good? I don't know if Matthew Stafford is healthy. That's the only thing that really worries me. Because Matthew Stafford's not healthy. Because I don't – we haven't seen – have we really seen Dak Prescott in a shootout yet? Because Detroit uh, likes playing shootouts. I mean – That's the – I don't know if he can up in a shootout. That Washington game kind of on on, uh, Thanksgiving. That's true. But they kind of – yeah. All right. That's fair enough. Um, I I just don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It just kind of feels weird to me. Because if you're talking about Dak Prescott – I mean Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl Dak Prescott – who got in before uh, Drew Brees, and people seem to be very mad about that. Hey, Drew Brees um, threw three picks against the Buccaneers, so he can sit. <laughs> um, Dak Prescott, probably not a Pro Bowl talent quarterback, but who, who cares? cares? He's, the he's the quarterback of the Cowboys. Guess what? He's about to make the next 10 Pro Bowls. Exactly. Every year. St- starting in starting in 2018 when Tony Romo gives up the reins. You realize um, Dak Prescott just locked his ticket into the Hall of Fame because when he retires, <laughs> he's going to have – like 12 Pro Bowl seasons, even if he wasn't that great. Yep. Yep. Um, and three, like two rings, three rings. I don't know yeah. how many you can get with Zeke. Um, but so here's the thing. I don't trust him in a shootout, though. Like if you're like, yo, Dallas has to score like 35 points this game to win. I'm not sure Dallas is the guy or uh, Dak is the guy. Okay. But do you trust uh, Zach Martin and Travis Frederick and Leary and Tyron Smith and Zeke versus uh, – Ashawn Robinson, who got mauled last week by a giant offensive line that struggled, washed up Haloti Naya and uh, Kyrie Thornton, Tyron Walker. I, I trust them to get like. Kyrie, why are you, why are you calling D tackles right now? Why, These DNs matter too. DNs matter too. I'm saying, I mean, Kerry Hyder's going to be playing on the inside. All right. And I think I, I think Kerry Hyder's been great this year, but I think that that's still a huge matchup in favor of the. Of the Cowboys, you can't you can't score thirty five points on the ground. Not with this Dallas. This Dallas team kicks a lot of field goals. Like go watch that Minnesota game. Like this team kicks a lot of field goals. I see. I, I, I don't know. Like the, I, theoret, theoretically, this team should just be able to run run all all over people. But even in the red zone, they're stalling a bit. Have you looked at the uh, new DVOA ratings that came out this week? No. What? Uh, all right, my, wanna, you, just take a right. guess. The Lions are what nine and five. Okay. Guess what their uh, DVOA rank is. 17th too high damn 20th too high fuck me uh 24 too high no way 26 they are ranked 26 in all right DVOA. so here's i'm about to pull they, a solely football get, okay, get, now, what, what does dvo mean what does dvoa mean it's like it, what is it it's just a stat that people reference like i don't think people understand what it means though i mean it calculates each play in kind of weights it against like each team's schedule that they've played like like if you if you go and if I, if I go to uh, Seattle and put up 27 points in Seattle against Seattle's you know top five defense that's worth more than me going to Cleveland and putting up 27 points against Cleveland's defense you know all right all right so okay let's do this okay you're down you're down a touchdown right you're down seven points um I don't say for the win. You're down six points, right? You're on your 20-yard line. You have a minute left to go. Uh, you can either choose your quarterback as either Dak Prescott or Matthew Stafford. Who are you taking? I mean, I, I, I mean, uh, probably Stafford. 
right? Okay. But Stafford's we... all mad because he didn't get the Pro Bowl nod, even though people were talking about him as an NFL MVP candidate. Look, listen. Are we even positive that the Lions can, can like stop the Cowboys from just running over them? Absolutely not. All right. So, if but we... I don't. If you're in a shootout, you don't run the ball, and that's what Dallas does best. I guess that's just my that's that's my issue is if if we think that this is going to be a shootout, it's like in what situation are they are they even feeding Ezekiel Elliott? Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, I think Zeke is still good enough where even if you're kind of sh- shooting back and forth, you can still give him a couple handoffs. But Detroit's given up four point two yards per carry, and the best running game they've played on their schedule is. Tennessee back in week two. Yikes, that's sad. So they, I don't I mean, know. They, when you look at the, the line schedule, they they're barely squeaking by a lot of bad teams. Oh like, yeah. Oh like, no, they're they're barely they're skin of their teeth type shit. Yeah. Like, so like they they had to come back against the Eagles, the Rams, Washington. They lost to the Texans. Barely beat Minnesota. Barely beat Jacksonville. Barely beat Minnesota again. They beat the Saints pretty handily, and then they they and then they uh, two weeks ago they almost lost to the Bears. So I mean I think, and then the, the last week they kind of got shit on by the Giants. I, I think this is going to be a really hard game for the Lions because honestly I just I just don't even think they're a good football team. They, they're one of those teams that just kind of gets lucky in these fifty fifty games, and they always have a chance to win at the end, and they just make some shit happen. I, but I just don't think that they're actually a good team. I'm gonna I'm gonna take them plus eight and I'm gonna lose this because I think what I'm zero and two when not agreeing with you yeah. so far. I'm, yeah, this I'm, podcast. I'm, I'm taking the Cowboys. I think they're gonna beat them. So I'm dis yeah. I'm disagreeing with you on two of these four lines because I'm taking Minnesota and I'm taking Detroit. Um, yeah, man, I'm about to lose both of these games. I do not feel good about any of these games at all. I feel good about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. All right, so we're done with the lines this week. Um, should we kick it to our interview with Kim Fahey? Yeah. Do you have anything left before uh, you want to get to that? Anything, uh, anything uh, else? Uh, no. I think we're good. All right. So coming up next, we have a question and answer with Bleach Report, NFL 1000 scout, uh, Kim Fahey. He also works with uh, Football Outsiders, Football Guys, and he can be heard on the Labor Talk show every Wednesday at around noon Eastern. So uh, we'll be right back with that one. And now we're joined by our first guest on the Setting the Edge podcast, Kim Fahey. Kim, say hi to, hi to the people. Setting the edge, football cliche, random football cliche. Yes, I love it. It is, yeah. Well, like, Irishmen are, like, stealing the sports world right now between Conor McGregor and Brian Kelly. So we decided to have you on. <laughs> hey, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Brian Kelly, I'm, I'm not claiming him. Whoa. You know, that's not how this works. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not sure you can say that as an American these days. all right so uh go ahead and plug everything that you do because you work at like 15 different sites um god football outsiders is probably the main place these days i also work at bleach report with a bunch of weirdos who do scouting um (laughs) i do football guys i write for them still who else i write for 
Oh, uh, the local ESPN in Minnesota, but that's that's pretty much Minnesota uh, focus. So unless you're a Vikings fan, come on over. And don't, yeah, there's no Vikings. Fans. Don't be modest. He's uh, Dan Lebetard's new football guru. That he comes. Yeah, on Dan Lebetard, the next Bomani Jones. <laughs> 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 yeah, because he right, has to go so, to Miami and do it from here. Yeah, lucky bastard. All right, so Charles has uh, question and answers for us. We're all gonna just fire off hot takes rapidly. So uh, let's get this thing done. All right. First question from uh, Derek his, at is Cronwall. What are the benefits slash drawbacks of three-point stance versus four-point stance for defensive line? King, can you take this one? or This is all you, Justice. This is all us. This is all the D-line folk, the people who actually hey. put their hand in the dirt. Look, yeah. You are Mr. People who actually coach. put their hand in the dirt. We block people not just on Twitter. So Ooh. Hey. Ooh. You haven't blocked anyone in about 10 years. <laughs> All right. So, uh, really, so four-point stances, I think four-point stances are fine for, like, five techs. And I think even though people really hate evaluating, like, the frog technique guys, like how the University of Oregon used to do it and stuff like that, um, it makes a lot of sense for what you're trying to do if you're trying to control an offensive lineman uh, in the run game. But in basically any other situation, like it, short yardage situations and when you're trying to two-gap, I think a, a four-point stance makes sense. But a three-point stance and everything everything else, um, when you're trying to half-man person, like you're trying to shoot a gap, if you're a three-tech who's just shooting into a B-gap or you're an edge defender who's just trying to you know bend around and set the edge, um, shouts to that podcast, uh, I think you're better in a three-point stance because you're so much more explosive. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, when I played, I hated four-point stance, like, yeah, I, I just thought that was the worst yeah. thing ever. And what when you have a four point stance, like you're really not firing out. Um, you're just kind of you know two gapping and reading the reading your blocks and looking for looking towards the ball. Uh, but you can really do that same thing in a three point stance if you just kind of you know set your ass back and don't put so much weight in your hands. I, I always thought that was more comfortable than a four point stance. So ban four point stances, launch them to the sun. This Agreed. was the question that made me call you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. You keep you keep charting interceptable passes. Yeah. You keep going through. Tell me how bad I, Ryan Fitzpatrick is. Spend fifteen I, years I am, telling I me am. how bad Ryan Fitzpatrick is. <laughs> I know what I am. I know what you are too. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> um, Joe Namath said that the New York Jets should just not play a quarterback because their offensive line was playing so poorly. Do you agree with them, Keaton? Bring back Ronnie Brown, Wildcat. Yes. I'm with it. All right. Let's go to the next question, Charles. All right. Uh, from the, from Derek again, a more fun question. You are Shad Khan. Screw the realm of possibility. Which coach do you break the bank for? Uh, Jim Harbaugh. Because if you look at San Francisco right now, right, and you look at – they're like, man, Jim Harbaugh was just so frustrated with that, that general manager and, like, everyone around that and just did not like being told, uh, like, personnel moves by those people. Look at what San Francisco has to work with right now. Like, imagine if John Harbaugh had a function or Jim Harbaugh had a functional um, general manager. Like, I don't know, man. I think I think if you're going all out for someone to be a home run hire in the NFL, I think him and Saban are the only two people that you can really point to. I think they're probably the obvious names, and they make sense. But I actually, the, the interesting thing there, John Harbaugh. Remember when he took over in San Francisco? It was kind of a similar situation where everyone liked the talents that they had, and the coaching staff just didn't really know what to do. But so that that makes a lot of sense. But for me, I I really just want Kyle Shannon at this stage. I know there's questions about what kind of character he is, and what kind of attitude he is. 
But I want, like, having watched that Falcons offense all year, I want that offense. I want that offense just to, because it, like, it's really ideal. It sets up the running game and the play action passing, and the, the quarterback doesn't have to do anything extremely difficult all that often. So for me, if I can get the offense sorted out and then figure out the defense, and that kind of works with the Jaguars too, because the Jaguars have a lot of pieces on defense. Obviously, they need a pass rusher. They need probably need a couple of pass or pass rusher, pass rushers. Even they probably need a couple of pass rushers. But um, overall, you've still got Miles Jack there. You've got Jalen Ramsey. You've got enough pieces that I think a, a decent defensive coordinator could sort out. So maybe you, like obviously the key there is you find the right guy to be your defensive coordinator. But if I get Kyle Shanahan and I can move on from Bortles, like none of this matters at all if they stick with Bortles because Bortles is complete trash. So like unless unless you move on from him, all of this is pointless. Like but. that's what I was gonna say. Is this is this is this is gonna be bad for Kyle Shanahan's health if he takes the Jacksonville job because he's intercepted Matt Ryan in the end zone in the preseason. All right, come right? on, relax. relax. <clears throat> and Blake Bortles leading up to last week, they asked him, "What do you think about going into the Texans game when you've thrown four pick sixes going into into?" Uh, into Houston, and his response was, "I need to tackle better." So, if you want to get your, like, co- your new head coach's knee blown out, have have him intercept passes by Blake Bortles in the end zone. That's wow. how you do it. But seriously, like if you if you brought him there and you had him working with Alan Robinson, Alan Hearns, uh, running back, they obviously they probably need a running back as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Obviously, they need to rebuild but the Jacksonville's the offensive, offensive line. Doesn't look like Atlanta's. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, but like, were, were we praising Atlanta's when he arrived there? No, but I they think got we Alex praised Mack. Alex Mack, and Alex Math Mack really changed up everything for that. Yeah, yeah, but we're not expecting them to be turned around straight away next year. I think you can build that offense out. Like, he'll find offensive linemen. Like, didn't, aren't they starting Levitri or they have at some point this year? He looked like a shadow of himself in Tennessee. Yeah, he's been a little bit better this year, but I think most of that's due to Alex Mack just, you know, kind of shouldering the load for Chester and Levitri. But if if Shannon. And Freeman being Freeman there. helps a lot as well. Yeah, he does. If Shanahan gets a job next year, I want to I want to see him take uh, Tyrod Taylor with him because it doesn't look like Buffalo seems committed to you know bringing him back. So I, mean, I think if you had Kyle Shanahan, Tyrod Taylor, maybe you could rekindle some of that magic he had in uh, 2012 with RG3. I think that could be fun. Can we talk about that was Buffalo right world. now, real fast? So Buffalo, it seems oh. like no one has uh, like job security. In Buffalo, other than Doug Whaley, who somehow like we have just let him pass on drafting EJ Manuel like 16th overall, and he also sent like, I mean, you guys remember the email thing? Just look up his name and look up email. We don't have to do it on the air, but the people listening, look up his name and look up email and see what some other people in the league might think of him. I mean, yeah, I mean, the thing that happens in Buffalo is the same thing that happened in in New York. Rex Ryan, he, he, he like. I think Rex Ryan must have the best agent in the business. I have no idea who, who it actually is, but every single year their team like collapses and it underachieves and looks terribly unorganized, looks no, no discipline, whatever, and the offense looks like it doesn't know what it's doing. And then every year towards the end of the year, it's all oh, the offensive coordinators at fault, the GMs at fault, or like these reports come out. And like it has to be the agent for, for Rex Ryan feeding these things. So he hired Rob Ryan, and I know Rob Ryan has done some good work there maybe with his, with his linebackers, but the play calling as a whole looks a little bit disastrous. Against the Raiders, they were rushing three and leaving the wide, uh, the middle of the field wide open. Like they, they literally pushed both safeties towards the sideline, rushed three and left the middle of the field wide, wide open, so it was easy for Carr to just flip the ball to his running back and his running back run 20 yards on the field. And that's the kind of dumb shit they've been doing all year. Yeah, and I, I think... I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, the Baltimore-Buffalo game, um, where uh, my balls caught that long that long pass. Um, that, that was really like, 
I mean, that 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 decided the game in the third quarter for Buffalo because their defense just doesn't have their defense just didn't have a very large margin of error. And the way that they're calling plays on the defensive side of the ball is really just like, I hope our guys are better than your guys. There's no really like there's no real like it's not like they're throwing a bunch of like zone complex zone blitzes at anyone. It's like they, they yeah, want to lock remember, up their man and play their men. Like, I mean, like, that's remember the, when uh, thing. When Ryan arrived there, all the talk was going to be that Stefan Gilmore was going to be this shutdown cornerback. He was going to develop him, and he's been he's been targeted and picked on all year. Yeah, yeah. It, it was funny because when uh, because they, the, I think the year before Ryan got there, when uh, Jim Schwartz was the defensive coordinator, didn't Buffalo lead the league in sacks? <laughs> yeah, and then the next season yeah. they were just above Atlanta. Atlanta had 19 sacks, and Buffalo had 21. And, I, and everyone's like, "Oh, this is the year." Rex Ryan finally has legit pass rushers with Mario Williams and Jerry Hughes, and it's got Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams on the inside. You know, this is going to be amazing, and it was just an absolute train wreck. And it has well, your, ed, your edge rushers can't get your edge rushers can't get sacks when they're dropping back into coverage and you're sending inside backers all the time. Yeah, that's fair. And Mario Williams just gave up at that stage. Yeah. All right. So should we go to the next one? Yes. Bang these things out. Next question from our uh, good pal D Lee. For all of you guys, which offenses and defenses have provided the most unique personnel grouping and plays? By the way, I love the fact that we were asked about the Jaguars and talked about the Bills for way longer than talking about the Jaguars. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one, the one that, the one that really stood out to me this year, I think, it was against the Seahawks. Where again, we'll come back to Kyle Shanahan again, a bit of a love affair with him at the moment. But we went back to the Seahawks where he was using, I think he was using three tight ends, two receivers, and they, they just attacked the, they floated the cover three zones. And, and Ryan got, I think he got two touchdowns that were wide open in that game. You probably remember better than yeah. me. But, was, uh, yeah, there was one like on a tight end throwback and then another one to, uh, I think it was Julio was wide open down the seam on another one. And he had actually made that adjustment at halftime because I think they were down, they were struggling pretty badly at halftime. And you, that was one that kind of stood out to me. And I, I've always loved his uh, the, the tight end throwback that he always goes to. You know it's coming once a game, and no one ever stops it. Yeah. that uh, The one he called versus Kansas City on the fourth down, where there was the, the fake toss, and then he threw it right back to the tight end. That was wide open. That was one of my favorite plays of the year that he called. Um, on the defensive side, I really like what like Seattle does. And it's not really very complicated. It's just that they have the horses that can do it. Where they just throw four really talented, like their their fourth best pass rusher, when they go when they go into like their their nickel and like nickel third long third down long situations, is Cassius Marsh, and it's just like him, Michael Bennett, or uh, Frank Clark on the inside, and then Cliff Averill is always on the outside. And what they'll do is they'll just load up guys in the A, B, and C gap on one side, and then Cliff Averill will play on the other side and just like coming hunting down from the backside. So you really have nowhere to go. That ball has to come out. Um, I, re- I really like. I just like watching. I'm watching them when they're in third and long situations because it's just like the heat is coming and they're dropping seven guys into coverage at the same time. It's like that. That's like the most third and long against Seattle is like one of the most unstoppable, uh, unstoppable. I guess you'd say personnel packages, right? Yeah. Um, in the league when everyone is healthy. I mean, I guess it didn't necessarily work when like Earl Thomas isn't out there. But uh, actually, I was gonna bring bring that up. Did you watch the uh, the Packers all twenty two when you when Earl Thomas was first out? <laughs> They, they put yep. that, like, you obviously you watch Earl Thomas and he's awesome and you think, yeah, he, he's really, really impressive. And then you watch a normal human being try to do his job and that <laughs> dude has no shot. Yeah, like there was guys destroyed, man. 
Yeah, there was guys just wide open all over the field. And you're kind of there. You don't really want to criticise him because the dude is just like trying to do something superhuman. But there was, I think it was the long touchdown to Devontae Adams where he Rodgers escaped the pocket, went right, and Adams bent his road up, up the upfield after running it out. And the, the safety just stayed in the middle of the field and he had no idea what he was doing. But then he tried to recover. And normally you see when Earl Thomas gets caught, caught out for a second, he tries to recover and he recovers very easily. This guy was trying to recover and he was about 15 yards away from where he needed to be just because he was asked to do what Earl Thomas is asked to do in pretty much every single snap. Yeah, and like, I don't think people understand how hard it is to be that high safety in cover three. Like that, you have, like, Earl Thomas is a game changer. Like, that's a legitimate game changer, and there aren't very, like, maybe, like, McCordy. There's, like, a couple of guys who can, like, really do that. Um, <clears throat> I actually coached with a dude, uh, the online coach that I coached with this past year. Uh, he coached in Texas, and he he saw all these guys, like, in person. Like, he had coached in the same league as guys like uh, Kristen Michael and stuff like that. And he told me, like, Earl Thomas is the best high school football player he's ever seen because he had never seen someone just that fast before. Sure. I remember as soon as he went out against the Panthers, the first thing Cam did was go straight down the middle of the field for a. I think it was stopped just short of the end zone, but it was a Ted Ginn play that set up a touchdown. Yeah, that's what I would do, man. You don't got you don't got many shots. Like if Earl Thomas is coming out of the game, guns blazing, full speed ahead. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, what I, I kind of like their defense isn't any isn't any good, but I kind of like what Washington does. Uh, when Sue Cravens is healthy, when they uh like they'll send uh like a corner on a blitz, like Josh Norman on a blitz with Preston Smith, Chris Baker, Trent Murphy, and Kerrigan all going up front. And then they'll kind of rotate Kerrigan over to the field side and have a safety come behind him. And they'll just pattern match on the two receivers on the inside. And Cravens gives them a lot of range on the middle of the field that you don't really see a lot of linebackers being able to handle. And, uh, I mean, their defense sucks, but I think it's really cool seeing, you know, <laughs> seeing, you know uh, Cravens you know, carry tight ends, running backs, receivers up the seam, and then having their safety, you know, take the other guy. You actually just reminded me, uh, because you mentioned an NFC East team, Steve Spagnuolo has surprisingly done a great job in New York this year. Like, Janoris Jenkins is playing actual football and not just running around hoping that he gets interceptions. And the the thing he, he did really well against the Cowboys in the second game was, uh, whenever they got him into third and long, they, he... Like, this is something I'd love teams to do more, and I'm not sure maybe why they don't. You might have uh, thoughts on that. But what he was doing the whole time was rushing four, but disguising his coverage and never really blitzing. But he was still forcing Dak to figure it out. And that little bit of uh, a hesitation that he was creating without giving one-on-one coverage in the back end made it really tough for Dak to figure it out. And Bob Sutton in Kansas City does this a lot as well. And I, I, I see, like... I think it was the, the, the Ravens-Eagles game, and you saw it with the, you always see it with the Cardinals and with the Jets at Todd Bowles. When they're towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter, they're, they're putting everyone up by the line of scrimmage and going all out blitzing, even though the four-man rush or the five-man rush has worked all, the whole way through the game. And it just it seems to make it so much easier for the quarterbacks, even though they expect it to make it harder. And I, I would really love if we altered the philosophy a little bit of sending five and six and instead showing something different before the snap and making it impossible to predict which four are coming and still only rushing four, so you still have those seven guys in coverage. Well, I think some of that has to come down to, like I said, it's like the horses, right? So, like, even <clears throat> New York doesn't have great defensive ends. Like, I think I, – I, I like I like JPP. He's been out. Um, I, th- I still think Olivier Vernon is overrated a bit. Um, I know people oh, like definitely that. definitely overpaid. <laughs> definitely overpaid. I know people like that Arqua guy. He's a twenty. He's a twenty-one-year-old undrafted guy who started on uh, Sunday night. I want to say, and people ended up loving him. But like they, they still have like like so Romeo and like Omabe Odigazua. They would play. They'd play. They play them on at at D tackle. 
like on third down and stuff like that. Because I remember <clears throat> when we started, so I start we I, I didn't start the Bleacher Report NFL 1000 project until like a month in because I was coaching and stuff like that. And I, I I looked on Pro Football Focus to see you know like okay who's active who played a significant amount of snaps right, and I saw like Omabe Odigazua and I remember grading through the Giants the first game and I'm like I didn't see him on the edge at all. Then I had to go back and rewatch it and see that like he's legitimately just a nickel D tackle for him. You know what I mean and stuff like that. So like I, I think I think they have some confidence in their in their ability to rush from the inside that a lot of teams don't because I think. Oa might not be like Oa, like Kerry Wynn, um, Orqua, or whatever, however you say his name. Um, those guys aren't necessarily guys that you would ever want to be a starter. But if you're playing those guys as nickel D tackles, I think that makes a huge difference than throwing out a guy like, I don't know, like a star Lele or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Uh, next question from at on the 50 yard line. Can you guys talk about Clowney? I know he still lacks moves with a pass rusher, but he looks a little better each week overall. This is Fahey's. Fahey was about this all offseason. Yeah, it was a good call. Well, man, if you just watched him, the dude was just like, <laughs> there's a clip. I know it's going to touchdown. Portland's running a touchdown this week, but, and he's chasing. He probably should have done a better job of you know, keeping contained. But he chase, he's chasing the play. He's chasing the quarterback back. And uh, like, there's an offensive lineman. I don't know how we've got so far out, but... He's outside uh, behind the, outside the numbers, and Clowney's running, and he's going to get blindsided. And normally, you see that happen, and the defender just gets killed. And Clowney just keeps running, does barely even notices that the the guard's coming to try and blindside him, hits him, and the guard is on the floor, and Clowney's just still going. Like you don't really have to know what you're doing when you can just knock everyone <laughs> over so easily. But it is kind of fascinating to watch him. Like I wrote a couple of weeks ago for Football Outsiders for Film Room. That he's maybe the best run defender in the league. He's just a dominant run defender, and he's a really versatile run defender. But then it's a bit like actually remember Cordero Patterson a few years ago when whenever he had the ball, he was the most aggressive, uh, most aggressive, decisive, uh, electrifying player you can see. He'd make anyone miss. But whenever he had to run routes, he was kind of really slow. He was hesitant. He didn't really know what to do with his hands. And then that's kind of the same thing we've got with Clowney right now. When he's in run defense, he just bowls everyone over, destroys players, finds the football, and it's. it's brilliant to watch when he's fast rushing if he doesn't win initially he doesn't win and that's like you, you see too often he's standing there just engaged with the left tackle literally not even moving his feet not moving his hands not even fighting to try and get off the contact he will often try and spin and I, that's you've probably watched him closer than i have but when i've what i've noticed from him is he, he goes to that spin move a little bit too often considering you're that big you should just be able to run right through people or swim swim right through he, people. he, he always wants he the thing is even at South Carolina, the thing is, he always wanted to go inside. Like, him rushing from the outside always was to set up the inside, and sometimes he would just try to predetermine those moves because those some of those SEC guys would just bite on it instantly. So I think the p- part of the thing that gets lost in this is how young he is. I mean, he's still only a 23-year-old. Like, there are guys in, from this past – he's in his third year in the NFL after getting picked number one overall and having, you know, injury injuries um, throughout basically, I mean, the, his first two years, right? Um and he's still like he's still Leonard Floyd right now, who's a rookie, is 24. Um, guys like uh, Kevin Dodd, who got a lot of hype this past draft, this past draft season, uh, came into the year 24. Um, like he, he's still a very young player who's trying to kind of catch his legs. Like he's a freak athlete. Um, but I, I, don't, I, I don't guarantee, and I guarantee, it was almost like negative. a Vic Beasley thing where pe- people were super fast to write him off as a 23 year old, and that's not really how this thing works. I guarantee anyone just has said anything ne- negative about there is not a force player. 
<laughs> Leonard, Floyd does, Leonard Floyd does decent. All right, Leonard Floyd does decent. I think he wins in weird ways, but he's he's good. Yeah, Floyd's like he's fun to watch. He, he just kind of contorts his body like Gumby and just somehow finds a way weird. to get because he he he's a guy like Clowney who wins with his inside moves better. Yeah, it's super weird. He's just like yeah, he it's just he contorts himself. It is. I always feel very, like uh, there's not very many guys like him. I always feel like when I see him, like he, he seems like a, just a really high effort guy. But because he's such like he's got a really long frame and like, appears to have a really long frame, I don't know the actual measurements, and he seems like a really good athlete. And it's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's just like, I don't know. It's already intensity of him what that he plays. But you see him chase plays down quite a bit. Yeah, and he is a long dude. He is a long dude. I think he was listed at like six three by Georgia, and then came into the combine and was like six six, and people were like, "What the hell?" Yeah, because usually that ends up the other way around for whatever reason. I mean, schools like to lie and pretend that they have bigger players for, I don't know, I, for God knows why. But I mean, you right. you rarely see a guy end up being taller than what he's listed at, and yeah, like Leonard good, Floyd is like three a, inches taller. A good three what? inches taller. Yeah, that was pretty. It's weird. a Bradley Roby run. That's Bradley Roby running a four zero six or whatever it was at Ohio State. Okay. All right, should we go to the next one, Chuck? Yeah, this one is for uh, Justice. I know Justice uses. Oh, this is from Christian Burns. I know Justice uses certain criteria to classify classify force players for defensive line, but is there any way to apply it to other positions? Um, I don't think so because. When you look at what force players is, so force players is density adjusted uh, athleticism basically, and there are certain positions like so like offensive line and like DB it wouldn't apply at all because you're not at a you're not at a position of creation right you're at a pre- position of prevention basically or at least what you're getting paid for right like DB still have to contribute to the run game and offensive line you still have to run block but for the most part you're getting money for how well you pass protect and how well how well you 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 are in coverage right. But the problem is it's not – density adjusted wouldn't make sense for that because you're not really have to, having to go through contact at DB, right, where your athleticism matters. And then on the offensive line, it's more like technique and strength than it is athleticism. I think there could be a case for like maybe like a tight end or a receiver, but there's so much that you have to do in space that's not through contact that it, does, it wouldn't really make sense in my mind at all. It really only makes sense for defensive linemen. It works to, uh, to a lesser degree for interior defensive linemen. Um, at least one gapper is like even like one text or something like that. Uh, but I, I don't think it makes much sense outside of guys who line up on the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. Uh, this one is for Kean from Like Sam B. Can you ask Kean what are Cam's strengths and what are his weaknesses? Cam, well, I think Cam's strengths are kind of obvious for the most part. You can see he's a great, although he. This is a bit of a story recently. He's not really running the ball as much anymore. I think he had three rushing attempts in, against Washington, and it seems to be that they're kind of out of contention, and he's had a couple of knocks that you don't really want to, to, to waste these hits on him. But Cam is, like, obviously you can see all the rolling talent. You can see he can dwarf defensive linemen and, and run over, run over run through puzzles the goal line, stuff like that. But he's also become a nuanced passer. His, pocket, his movement in the pocket is fantastic, and that's really... Really, a really, really necessary thing, and our necessary thing, necessary thing, in um in Carolina because the offensive line is terrible, and it has been it's terrible even when it's healthy. But for right now, it's even worse because Trey Turner is playing right tackle when Trey Turner is a pretty huge right guard. So Cam's ability to move in the pocket and deliver the ball against pressure is one of his greatest strengths. His other greatest strength is uh, his accuracy. That's kind of obvious. Anyone can see that. The criticism you have, like the criticisms for Cam, are kind of limited because 
he's an unbelievable player. He's probably the second best quarterback in the league right now. Uh, and he, the criticism or the criticisms you you can have are that he's not a precision passer when he's throwing short or throwing inter- intermediate passes. But he's still not a bad passer throwing short and intermediate passes. He's he's the uh, a big issue is he's throwing to guys who can't run routes, guys who can't create separation. So pretty much every throw he, he throws is going to be a contested catch no matter what. That doesn't mean that he's not always or that doesn't mean that he's always throwing perfect passes under contested catches. He does sometimes place the ball pretty poorly on the, uh, throwing the ball outside. But there are so many positives that the the negatives shouldn't really come into focus. One of the best things you will see with Cam is not just that he has the ability to sling the ball from the far hash to the far sideline with ease. He he controls his passes perfectly. He can alter the trajectory a little bit to to put the over defenses back and the ball in so the receiver has enough time to keep his feet in bounds. He can actually catch up as well, which is one of the one of the things you, you see with a lot of uh, big arm passers is. Like generally, if you've got a big arm and you have mechanics, it doesn't really balance out in your favor. But with Cam, it can at times because he has such control. So if he's late in the ball, if he's throwing an out route and he doesn't throw it as the receiver enters, he enters his break, he waits to see it. The defensive back still doesn't really have a great chance of breaking on the ball because the velocity he creates and the control he has of that, even with, even if his feet aren't perfectly set, is it's just phenomenal. And maybe it'll be become a uh, become a greater concern as he ages and as he, as he crosses 30. But for right now, he can pretty much do whatever he wants as long as the supporting cast is competent. The problem for Carolina is the supporting cast has rarely been competent this year. Yeah, I, I While we're on f- quarterback, hold up, hold up. While we're on quarterbacks, can I can I get you to say something real fast? I, I bet you I know it's going to be about someone. But go on. Can you just like come out and, come, just come out and say that you hate the Philadelphia Eagles? <laughs> hey, I'm right. <laughs> we had like 90 percent of the people in our mentions when we were asking for questions and they were like carson Wentz fans i mean like no i'm already blocked by kyan like i, I can't can i can't oh, i can't wow. come on i did it you, I you did think it. you wanted to ask questions have you have you watched that dude play for the last month yeah, awful he's been unfortunately awful. yeah he hasn't thrown a did you see that did you see that stat this week he hasn't thrown a touch on more than five yards to avoid receivers since week three Wow, so he's got he really is Alex Smith. They yeah. really yeah, are exactly. the city offense. They traded all those picks no. for Alex Smith and the Rams traded all those picks for Blaine Gabbard pretty much. Well, this is the thing too, like people in the draft community, I don't know if you're if you're paying attention, uh Keen, uh, you probably shouldn't. Um they're hyping up <laughs> Wyoming's quarterback who's coached by Craig Boyles, who was the head coach of North Dakota State. So it's, we're about to get round oh, 2 oh, of this. Oh, oh, oh. About to get round two. Yeah, I, this this is why I'm kind of thinking this year I probably won't even dive into draft. I'll just focus on doing the the quarterback because like draft, it just seems to be the same thing every year. You get a guy who can't play but looks great in shorts or whatever, and you throw him in. Like if we want to have a serious conversation about Carson Wentz, the flaws that we all saw at North Dakota State are clearly there. He threw an interception at the start of the game this year uh, this week against the Ravens where he got to the top of his drop. He planted his feet. It was like the roots extended out of his ankles and dug deep into the ground, yep. stuck there with his eyes staring down his first read. He had a chance to move away from the pressure that was arriving. Obviously, it wasn't an easy chance, but the fact that he had planted his feet from the very start meant that he had no chance of escaping the pressure, forced the pass, missed an open receiver on the left side, and threw the ball straight to a linebacker. And these that are the kind of things. That was the big thing to me, too, because I remember watching him in like the games that people were impressed with. Like I can't I can't remember if it was like Indiana State or like Illinois State. I can't remember what these teams were called. Fake schools. But, winning drive. Yeah. The, there were there were there were plays in that where people were like, look, this is his best game. And I was watching the game and you would see him freeze up, right? And like hesitate to pull the trigger, and his feet were rooted into the ground, like you were saying. And I'm, my only thing was like, I have never seen this 
get fixed or work at the end, at the NFL level. That was my big thing on it. I was like, man, yeah, he's got strong arm, all this. He's making calls at the line of scrimmage. But I've never seen that specific trait get fixed at all. And what just kept coming back to my mind was like Jake Locker. And they had it at the start of the season. There was a little bit of an improvement in it. And it, it lasted against the Browns and against the Bears. But then once, like, as the season wore on, it obviously the work they had done in August or whatever had worn off. And it's a bit like um, when, when you get the, you know, every single year we get the story about how Blake Bortles or Tim Tebow or whoever else before him, Tom Kaepernick, I think, as well at one stage, where, oh, he's worked on his mechanics all offseason. The throwing motion is really tight. It's really tight. And he, he might get one preseason game where it looks perfect. And then as soon as the games actually start, he goes back to what's natural and does what's normal for him. So it, it, to me, the yeah, Carson Wentz season has been a bit like that. It looked great at the start. Well, it didn't look great. It looked okay at the start. And now it's going to come back to him. The other main, real, real, really concern, uh, really, really concerning issue out there is he overthrows passes a hell of a lot. And he does it over the middle of the field. And obviously, you've got safeties waiting. There are going to be interception opportunities over and over and over again. So if you have a guy who's staring down the That's the one spot you can't mess it up is deep down the middle. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so if, if you've got a guy who's staring on receivers, not moving his feet and overthrowing passes, that's going to be a, a trifecta that's just going to be fatal. Yep. And just what I was saying before about, uh, you know, kind of how we look at Cam Newton or how he's portrayed in the media, I, I think that that Cam Newton and Andrew Luck are kind of like on the same spectrum where people think they're overrated, but what I think is really going on is they have to carry so much of the load for their offense that when they're not on their A-plus game, the whole offense kind of falls apart, and then, you know, everyone just points blame back to the quarterback. I think I think Cam Newton and Andrew Luck probably have, like, the two hardest quarterbacking jobs in the league, and they're consistent. They're usually, you know, excellent week in and week out, but the one week or two weeks they have where it's just kind of a disaster mode and their team loses, everyone kind of freaks out and says, oh, wow, yeah, we're right. This guy is overrated. Yeah, sure. Greg Olson is like the only good receiver in Carolina right now, and you'll see him staying into pass protect a, a bunch in seven-man protections, and he can't pass protect. Like he's, not, he's, he's more of an oversized receiver than he is a tight end. So what ends up happening is Cam doesn't have his best receiver running a route, and he's getting no protection when he should have loads of time because he's got seven, seven in. So it, it um to me I agree with what you're saying. They the like it's not gonna change. I don't think it's gonna change especially not gonna change in Indianapolis because they look like they're gonna re- retain Pagano and Grigson just because Luck has had a couple of good games towards the end of the year and carried that team. Yep. It's a shame. All right. We have uh one last question from Cox and Wentz. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you made it through the filter. You made it through the filter. <laughs> you made it through the filter. Uh, this is towards uh, Kean. Why does he block people with opinions that differ from his? Cry laugh emoji. Will he, <laughs> will he block the podcast? And if so, how? Well, I am tempted to block Justice. That's been going for a while now. You have to mute him every so often. Just to him. <laughs> um, no, I get this question a lot, and it's weird. And it's because like people send me send me a tweet, and it's like yeah, you're wrong, you're an asshole. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to block you. I'm not going to listen to you calling me an asshole. And then 10 months later, actually, some, some people are doing it four and five years later, where they're like, oh, yeah, I disagreed with them months. And they kind of forget about that whole calling you an asshole part and leave that part out. So it's, that's basically just the way that works. Although I do have a, I do have a, a crew of people now, fantasy football guys, who are purposely trying to get blocked, which is very weird. <laughs> Wait, okay, explain that one. 
Yeah, like, I, that's that's it. I, I can't. They're trying like, to get. Uh, they're just like trying to spam you and, and mess with you. Like, the, I, I got a few weird tweets from a guy, and it was like, um, "Oh, you've got a weird header, and you've got a weird, uh, just random stupid stuff." Like, they're trying. They're trying and, to find your line. They're trying to see where yeah, you draw the line. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. But but then you click on the profile, and you click on the profile, and you're like, "Who's this guy? Why does he keep sending me stupid stuff?" And then you see he's got. Oh, he, he sent a tweet to someone else with a picture of a tweet he sent. And he goes, "Let's see if I can get blocked this way." And I'm like, "What the fuck are you spending your time doing?" Like, and it says me who's looking and checking on it. Like, but still. <laughs> All right. Why we don't mess with Venus Twitter? Here's I got one request, Kian. We got uh, a ja- a tweeter from Jaguar Twitter who wants to apologize for him going off on you about Blake Bortles back in the off season, and you've <laughs> proven to be right because Bortles is terrible. So, if we can get one segment like how Bamani has in the right time called Unblock Me, Bo, can we have Unblock Me, Kian, for one one uh, lucky Twitter follower? Arthur's name. Uh, <laughs> Zach Goodall. Z Z A C H underscore. I'm not, sorry, I'm not typing that into this. All right. No. <laughs> That's fine. Sorry, Zach. Leave it up with you. Sorry, Zach. You you tried. Don't blame them. Just blame me and keep hating me. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the questions we have. Yeah, it was awesome to have you. Sounds good, Dick. <laughs> All right, so if you, uh, you're looking for Keen on Twitter, you can find him at uh, C-I-N-A-F if you're not already blocked. C-I-N-A-F. Yeah, C-I-N-A-F. Yeah, okay. I think you were missing a letter there. Oh, yeah, I was missing uh, the second A. So at C-I-N-A-F. <laughs> it's it's Keen as fuck. All your listeners are blocked anyways. Yeah, what does it matter? It, it, yeah, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> uh, so you can find him at NFL 1000 with uh, me and Justice every week. He does a quarterbacks. Uh, he's at Football Guys, Football Outsiders, and once a week on the Labor Talk Show. So thanks for joining us, Kian. Good, guys. And we'll be back next week with the fourth episode of Setting the Edge. This is Charles with my lovely co-host, Justice Mosqueda, and we'll see you guys next week.